It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. As always, I am your gracious host, Scott Connor at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. And we're into our roster construction, episode number three, uh, talking running backs tonight. And it's going to be interesting because this was a request from a couple people in the DD Discord, which you can find at patreon.com slash all gas running backs. So I initially planned on this being the last installment of the roster construction series, but decided to go ahead and knock out the running back episode tonight. It should be interesting. Uh, And for those that have just started tuning into the show, I appreciate you. Uh, Go back and listen uh, to episode number one of Destination Dynasty, where I talked about running back production. Now, this was only through five weeks of the season. So there was only a limited number of takeaways and sample size to go on during that episode. But I think a lot of what I talked about in that show still applies today. It applies to the entire season as a whole. So go back and listen to that, talking about running backs. uh, And it's going to feed into why this episode is going to make some sense. It's going to feed into the running back strategy Uh, as planned right now in Dynasty. So just for a recap, the first episode, we talked about wide receivers. The second episode, we talked about tight ends. And tonight, we're going to talk about running backs. Now, we're going to use a template for this of a 12-team Superflex start 10 PPR scoring. We're going to use just standard PPR scoring for the tight end premium. But last week, obviously, I talked about tight end premium and how it differs, you know, when you're going through that data Uh, We're going to use 28-man rosters, 10 starters, and we're going to assume that it's going to be a quarterback, two running backs, three receivers, a tight end, a super flex, and two regular flexes. And again, 28-man rosters uh, with PPR for all positions. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about different formats. Obviously, when you start getting into point-per-carry formats, when you start getting into tiered PPR formats with different tight end premiums, the whole goal is to try to layer out some of the different impacts in terms of how to roster construct. And obviously with the first two episodes, we talked about how to roster construct at wide receiver with the wide receiver threshold, calculating it from a PPR perspective. And we decided on if we're going to roster receivers just within the threshold, it's going to be somewhere between eight and nine in this format. 
with tight ends we talked about in this format again i'm using this as the baseline obviously when you start changing settings you have to tweak uh, but for last week's purposes we talked about tight ends and rostering three tight ends so if we're going to use the baseline number of eight wide receivers three tight ends that obviously leaves you 17 roster spots remember one of the rules that i talked about in the first episode quarterbacks always want to play the quarterbacks in the superflex so without going through the quarterback show which is one of the reasons that i wanted to do it first but i'm decided to do the running back show tonight uh, instead of waiting uh, and doing it last the quarterbacks do drive the number of running back roster spots that you're going to use however for purposes of this a little bit of a preview of next week's show basically what you're looking at at quarterbacks is we're going to try to start quarterbacks in our quarterback spot obviously and then in a super flex every single possible time that we can so that's at least two then you're looking at your backup quarterback qb3 Obviously, it needs to be a little bit stronger if you're weak at either of the first two quarterback spots, but also you want to have a third quarterback that is a locked-in starter. You always want to have at least three quarterbacks in a super flex league, uh, with the idea being that your QB3 is probably a player that is an adequate starter, doesn't have to have longevity to get you through multiple seasons, but obviously if you ever get to a point where your QB3 is really strong, you know, there's going to be a recommendation, a little bit of a preview from next week is there's going to be a recommendation to try to down tier, but still make sure you have that third quarterback or that emergency quarterback. And then I'll say this, I think there's always places in super flex leagues to carry a fourth quarterback, maybe for a developmental purpose, or maybe just as a handcuff or a really, really high leverage backup to another starter. So let's say you have a fourth quarterback like Case Keenum, somebody like that. It makes sense to roster one of those guys because the theory behind it is backup quarterbacks like a guy like Case Keenum, like a guy like Tyrod Taylor, Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, you insert whatever name you want. There is some equity there. There is some trade equity there. And that'll be important with one of the themes that I talk about in tonight's episode of how to roster construct at running back and also how to pull it off by pulling off different transactions throughout the dynasty season to get you there. Because it isn't all about roster construction. I think we have to look at the running back position and say, this is going to be the one position that I'm going to transact the most throughout a dynasty season at running back. This is where my most transactions are going to come. And they're going to come in multiple different ways. And one of the ways is to have a roster spot or two that I'm rostering extra backup quarterbacks. If you think about the position where you can say, hey, I have a backup that is going to get a spot start that I could potentially trade for a draft pick. Most likely that is going to come at either running back. The other position it's going to come at is quarterback. So, you know, if you have one or two roster spots dedicated to that type of player, so Case Keenum, Tyrod Taylor, Teddy Bridgewater, whoever it might be, they rotate every year. There's different ones that come up. You know, one trick is, you know, anytime you have a player go on injured reserve or something, pick up an extra quarterback, right? If there's no injury, drop them next week. I see that happen all the time in leagues. But for purposes of this show, we're going to say I'm going to have my fourth quarterback spot be that type of spot. So eight receivers, three tight ends, and we're going to use four quarterbacks. So right there, that's 15. That leaves me 13 roster spots out of 28 that I'm going to use on the running back position. Now, if I can use injured reserve, Obviously, that adds me a little bit more. It gives me more potential to stash players that might go on IR. If I have a taxi squad, one thing that I always see is people rostering 
developmental wide receivers on their taxi squad. To me, that's a mistake. There are situations where you might store a wide receiver on a taxi, but they're few and far between. Typically, if I have a taxi squad, and I know for the purposes of this show, we're not talking about a taxi squad, but if you have a taxi squad, why are you using a taxi squad spot on that sixth round receiver? You know, why are you using a taxi squad spot on somebody like Justin Ross, John Mechie? I know those guys might be on injured reserve, but I've seen them on people's taxis. Khalil Shakir, that might be another one that someone might have on their taxi. You maybe have the luxury to carry one of those guys, but your taxi, in most purposes, should just be an extension of the extra roster spots that you can use to hold running backs, because there are a lot of rookie running backs every single year that are on a depth chart. And that's going to be the first thing to talk about when defining this strategy at running back is assuming that I have 13 roster spots to play with in this format, which is almost 50% of my roster spots. So let's say you're expanded by four, you have 32 man rosters. Think about it the same way. 50% or close to 50% of your roster spots on your team should be running backs if we're talking PPR leagues. And really, even if we get into a heavy tight end premium or something like that, really, if you listen to last week's episode, all this is going to do is extend maybe how many players you're considering for your flexes, but it might mean less receivers, more tight ends. If you're in like a two PPR for tight ends, it doesn't really change the number of players you want to roster in those ranges. I don't want to carry seven tight ends and eight receivers. It's too many. I'm probably carrying some dead weight. I'd much rather roster those players at the running back position. So keep that in mind. Almost 50% of your roster spots, if you just want to use 50% as a baseline, Okay, and maybe you transform one or two of those spots into the backup quarterbacks. But you could say, hey, eight receivers, three tight ends, three quarterbacks. Forget about the backups. I'll roster the backups as the season gets here. Because that's one thing about the backup quarterbacks. They really don't have any value in the offseason. They're really only good during the year. So as you transition to the offseason, hey, we're getting to week 16. We're getting to week 17. My team's fallen out of it. I've been eliminated from the playoffs. Case Keenum, you're cutting him. Tyrod Taylor, you're cutting him. Teddy Bridgewater, you're cutting him. Unless you think the player is going to get a starting job the next season, I don't need to roster those types into the offseason. That's where I want to drop them for a potential running back they can land on a depth chart. And that's where we get to the first definition. You've seen me on Twitter, hashtag NERB on A53. And what is that? Any running back on a 53-man roster. And in a lot of situations, any running back that could be on a 53-man roster, which means there are running backs that now with the new taxi squad rules, teams can bring a player up and down, I believe, four times during a season from the taxi squad. So you have running backs that are stashed on the taxi squad that are only going to be active if there is a running back that is ruled out for a game or the team wants to carry an extra running back. Maybe they're going to dress three instead of only dressing two, or maybe they're going to dress four because of special teams. But you'll see running backs get called up, activated. If that's the case, you know, that's why we watch those inactives every Sunday. What running backs are the next man up? Not necessarily the handcuff, not necessarily the guy that's going to get the second carry if a running back gets hurt. Who is active on game day? That is what I'm interested in rostering in this type of format. I'm looking constantly at the depth charts. I'm constantly looking at who is at the bottom of 53-man rosters. Who are guys that are active on game day? Forget about their profiles necessarily. Forget about 
whether they're pass catchers, you know, whether they were running backs that got a lot of carries in college. Now you can pick and choose who you have, but the baseline starts with any running back on a 53-man roster. Then you go from there. Assuming this is a 12-team Superflex with 28-man rosters, most of those running backs, if you're in a league that has some sharp people, are going to be rostered. Now, when you start getting deeper, I'm in quite a few leagues where every running back you can think of is rostered. Like, there are some literal leagues where I don't have any running backs I want to pick up. And if that's the case, that's pretty deep, because there are a lot of running backs that I want to pick up. Anybody literally that is two injuries away from getting a touch, I'm interested in having on a roster. And that's how deep we go. And the reason for that is because you've seen, go back to that first episode when I talked about running back numbers thus far this year, you've seen how many running backs have come out of nowhere and are producing. And part of the reason for that is that running backs are the position that is most dependent on the opportunity that they earn slash are given. Basically, they just need a certain amount of touches or the certain types of touches for them to at least hit the replacement level value number. And I define that back in the second episode. And I talk a little bit about, you know, what it takes to get there and where kind of the running back dead zone starts and where it ends. And really what's predictive of running backs getting into that dead zone, at least to give you the replacement value is just simply that they get opportunity. And with a lot of backfields this year, basically going to 65-35, type workloads, you have multiple players that are in these ranges already just by default. Now, some of them can be much higher with lesser volume because they're super efficient or they're really good. There are some bell cows in the league that whenever they're on the field, you can almost expect that they're going to get 20 plus touches, but those are few and far between. So what we're left with is situations where, let's just say 60% of the teams in the league are already operating like this. That gives you right there, if you're saying 60% of the teams, you're looking at maybe 20 teams in the league, that already gives you 40 running backs between those 20 teams that are in the mix. So right there, if you just assume that 20 teams are using two running backs that could be viable on a week-to-week basis, let's say they get 10 touches each. That's 40 running backs that are getting 10 touches each. Then you have the other 12 teams. Maybe they're running more like 75, 25 backfields where maybe the 25% guys aren't viable. But still, if you add those in there, you're looking at almost 50 running backs, a little bit more than 50 running backs a week that are viable. Then you factor in bye weeks. Then you factor in injuries. Then you factor in one player beating out another. You see a lot of backfields to start this year where you had guys like Chuba Hubbard, Deontay Foreman behind Christian McCaffrey. You know, those were... 85-15 backfields where basically the two backups were splitting minimal work, not enough work to be startable on their own until McCaffrey leaves. Then you can look at it and say, okay, maybe both of them now become viable. So you have two players that kind of came out of nowhere. One player departed. He left for a situation where maybe there's two running backs now. And then you had the two backups there turn into a committee where you can potentially use both. So that's the idea. I think everybody understands this, but I also think you have a lot of people that overlook these players because, and I hear this narrative a lot, a guy, just because he gets some touches, he's never going to be the one to lead the backfield. Who cares? Who cares? Part of the reason that this works, that this strategy works, and I'll talk a little bit more about where you want to build among these tiers, is because you've already set your roster up 
adhering to the wide receiver threshold, adhering to the tight end roster construction, trying to hit as many threshold receivers as you can get, trying to hit the tight end advantage where you can, and also chasing the elite quarterbacks. We'll talk about that next week. But the idea is you are looking at a roster that is trying to be above replacement at all of the other spots. And part of what I talked about last week is, okay, I get into a situation where I don't have an elite tight end. I'm having to platoon maybe two tight ends that are low-end tight end ones. They fit the criteria of good roster construction. But you also have to acknowledge that, okay, I have two tight ends that are not necessarily giving me a positional advantage from week to week. So maybe I should focus on getting running backs that are in a slightly higher tier. You know, that's something else to consider. So there is a push and pull here. You have to look at your other positions and say, okay, maybe this team is roster constructed specifically uh, in a way where my second quarterback is a little bit weaker than I want it to be. And maybe not on purpose, but that's how the season is shaking out. If that's the case, then maybe you want to beef up the running backs a little bit. Maybe you want to chase a higher end running back in a specific spot. We'll talk about specific running back builds uh, here in just a second. Same with your tight ends. You know, if you have an elite tight end, maybe you can get away with having a QB2 that's a little bit weaker. You don't have to be as strong at the QB3. Again, we'll talk about that next week. So it's a push and pull. But if you look at a roster and you go, okay, I have positional advantages at tight end. I'm at my point where I have the threshold receivers and I have, let's say, two elite quarterbacks. Well, in that case, really, all you have to do is just get to a point where your roster construction is correct. You have enough running backs to fill these spots. Going back to the second episode that I talked about, you have the ability to throw specific types of players in your running back spots and really not have to worry about if they give you spike weeks. As long as they can hit the replacement number, you're going to be in the mix. So think about that. Do some soul searching on your teams. Really do a fair assessment as where you stand with the other positions, especially quarterback and tight end, and assess, do I have a positional advantage in those spots or not? And if I don't, then maybe that changes how I want to build my running back room or how much upside I maybe need to have built into my running back room. But the construction doesn't change. Once you have the construction down and you go, I have the ability to roster 13 running backs, then you decide, okay, how much do I want to pay for what running backs in that range? Which ones do I want to target? How do I want to build it? I call my running back strategy, once I've adhered to this principle where it's 13 running backs or 50% of my roster spots allocated to running backs, then you get into something called levels. And that's the next element of the running back strategy. It's where do I want to roster certain levels of running backs, certain archetypes? And that's where you get into the theory of, you've heard it, zero RB or hero RB or double hero RB, whatever you want to call it. But it comes down to, you look at the tiers. Let's say you went through your running back rankings or you just took some sort of ADP and you went through the tiers and you said, okay, these are how I tier the running backs. Based on the cost, based on what they take to acquire, based on how accessible they are in leagues, how many of each one of these do I have to roster? How many of them are available for free? So let's say out of the 13 that I've already planned on, I'm usually of the opinion that six or seven of those, so half of my running backs on my roster are the churn and burn free spots. These are the whoever ends up winning the backup job or the third running back job on a roster. That's where I'm plugging them in. Those are players that I'm willing to cycle in and out as there's training camp news, as there's injury news, as there's depth chart news that happens throughout the entire offseason. 
And obviously know your rules. I think another big thing about this strategy that can really heighten it is if you're in a league where waivers run many times throughout the season, but you're also stuck with this 28-man roster, right? Like if you don't have the ability to add more than 28, you need to be looking at the bottom half of your roster and looking at the depth charts and saying, okay, how do I always make sure that the six or seven running backs that I'm going to consider on the bottom of my roster are optimized? Which guys are winning jobs? Which guys are the closest to potentially being used as a throw-in if I ever need them? And you just keep that in mind constantly. You're always looking at that. It matters. It matters who wins the number three running back job on a team coming out of training camp. To a lot of people, no, it doesn't. Because they look at that player and they say, uh, Malik Davis or Rico Dowdle. It doesn't matter which one of those guys wins the third running back job for Dallas at a training camp. Until it does, until you get to the end of the season and you go, wow, maybe one of those guys is potentially usable. Justin Jackson or Craig Reynolds. Really, it doesn't matter who's the number three until you get to the end of the year and you realize, oh, wow, the team is going to shut down DeAndre Swift. Maybe Jamal Williams gets hurt. It could be a Justin Jackson game. And if you're the one that's going, oh, is he available in any of my leagues? Probably not. If you have people that are roster constructing, right, they're not holding on to roster clogger receivers. They're not holding on to seven tight ends. They're maximizing their team by carrying guys like that. So it really is a churn and burn. It's a weekly game where it does matter which players you pick up off waivers. It does matter how you build your teams in rookie drafts. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit as well, is this stuff matters when you're looking at the bottom end of your roster spots. What are the most likely If you're talking about the 27th or 28th man on a dynasty roster, what is the most likely to crack a lineup in a 12-team start 10? You would hope that it's not a wide receiver. You would hope that it's probably not a quarterback. If it is, I would say your roster is probably in trouble, but it's possible that it's a running back. And one of the other beautiful things is you have so many running backs that are relevant throughout the season that you have the potential for many, many players to be transacted off of your roster, onto your roster throughout the year where you can essentially just backfill your roster. If you trade away a player, you trade away one of these running backs at a premium price, boom, you backfill with another piece. It's the one position you can do that. It's the one position from a sit-start perspective and from the correlation between touches and fantasy points, it's the easiest to do. And I think that's where the strategy gets lost on a lot of people. If you get to a point where you are starting a guy like DeAndre Carter or Ben Squaronic or Demarcus Robinson, you know, think of those types, random receivers that you might have said, oh, I'm going to start them this week. You've probably already lost. You've probably already gotten to a point where you're so desperate that you're having to play one of those players. And maybe you had six injuries at wide receiver. Maybe you don't have any flexes because of injuries and because of bye weeks, but that's a one-off If you ever get to a point where it is a start 10 and you're saying, I have to throw in one of those types of receivers, you're probably out of proper roster construction. Because one of the other things, and this is important, if you go back to those first couple episodes and you go back to the wide receiver threshold, especially, I talked about the flex rate, right? I talked about how wide receivers are the dominant flexes. Well, right behind wide receivers, there are running backs. Running backs typically, even in a PPR league, end up getting flexed like 40 to 45% of the time. So when in doubt, if you need a flex play, you're better off flexing the running back if you don't have enough threshold receivers. Now we do want to avoid that. We want to get to a point where we have enough threshold receivers. But if we don't, there is also a chance that, hey, 
I have four running backs that two of them are locked in starters. Two of them have injuries ahead of them this week. Guess what? I have four running backs that I could potentially play. So there is opportunities for you to potentially flex the running backs. It's not optimal. I'd much rather flex a wide receiver two or a wide receiver three over a backup running back, but there are opportunities where you can flex those backup running backs. And most of the time, if you're roster constructed right, you may have four or five running backs in a given week that, hey, I could play. Now that gets into one of the conundrums that I talked about in the running back episode, where when you have too many running backs, but you also have a lot of good receivers, and if it's a heavy tight end premium, maybe you have a couple extra tight ends. Then you go, okay, I have to pick two of these running backs, and I have to pick them out of five or six. And I think we've all been in those scenarios where we go, okay, what's going to allow me to pick these two running backs out of five that I could potentially start? And a lot of times we go with who might get the touchdown, who might get the catches, who's in the best offense. Most likely it's who's going to get the most touches. And that's where the running back dead zone comes in. That's when you have to really look at replacement value and say, okay, am I rostering too many running backs in the dead zone? Because this is going to be the next part. This second part of the episode, I know I've kind of rambled a little bit on about roster construction, carrying half my team in running backs, picking up any running back on a depth chart. All of that's important. That's the line of thinking to think about that when you're building a team. When I'm looking at a team in the offseason especially, and I go, okay, I want to get this team into roster construction. How do I get there? What am I looking for? What am I looking for when I get into rookie drafts? That's another thing. And I'll just talk about that right now. When you get into rookie drafts, and you're sitting in the third round of a rookie draft. Don't draft a round five receiver. Don't draft Khalil Shakir. Don't draft Danny Gray. Don't draft Calvin Austin. If you're going to make one of those picks, make it count. Draft a player where you go, I believe in this player, and I believe they are more than a roster clogger. And most importantly, I believe that this player will give me some sort of turnaround quickly. That's the benefit of drafting running backs, more so than what I'm talking about, but also you usually get a quicker turnaround on a running back. You know pretty quickly if this running back is going to make the team. You know pretty quickly if a guy like Kennedy Brooks, who everybody picked up off waivers, is going to be involved, is he going to make the Eagles 53-man roster. In a 28-man roster league, he didn't make the roster. He's an easy cut for me. If I drafted Khalil Shakir... In a 28-man roster, he's probably still on my roster. And I'm sitting here wondering, when's he going to break out? When's he going to get more playing time? When possibly could I ever play him? And he becomes one of those players that you stare at on your team and you go, can I get a third for him? Can I get a fourth for him? Can I trade him for a running back? Does he have any value? And when you truly look at it and you say, not really, I couldn't get a third rounder for him if I put him on the block right now, that's the definition of a roster clogger. And that's one of the reasons why you, if you're not in roster construction, you look at your upcoming rookie draft and you say, okay, let me make sure I don't put myself into roster clogger territory by drafting more. Let me at least stick to the principle of using most of my later round picks on running backs, using most of my UDFA waiver picks on running backs for exactly what I've been talking about in the first half of this episode. So with the second half, I'm going to talk a little bit more how to build a running back room within this 13. Also, how to build your roster so that you have the most opportunities throughout the season to transact in what I call the day trading running back market. This has kind of been a new phenomenon, but it started to take off in a lot of leagues that I'm in. It does depend on the activity of your league. But what I've also found is if you don't have the right roster construction around you, it makes it really hard to participate 
in this type of secondary market that may exist in your league. So I'll come back. I'll talk about that in the second half of the episode, and we'll really focus on how to build a running back room once you know you're within roster construction. I will be back in 30 seconds. Welcome back. For part two of tonight's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about how to construct your running back room once you've already established the principles of using half of your roster spots on a given team on the running back position. For specifics, I said 13 if we're looking at this format, Uh, but if you start expanding roster spots, it usually can go up to about half uh, if you're getting into like 30 or 32 man rosters. So now you might wonder, what does this actually look like? I talked earlier in the episode about gauging the relative strength of your quarterbacks, of your tight ends. Are you getting a big enough positional advantage there where maybe you can be a little more flexible on the quality of running backs that you have to carry? But assuming you're already to the point where you're going, I'm ready to allocate half my roster spots to running backs. What does that look like? How much do I spend? I get a lot of questions about teams where they say, I need another running back. And then I look at their lineup and I say, well, first of all, you're not within roster construction. But second of all, you really don't need another running back. You may think in the short term, in week nine, you need to upgrade your running back position. And to be fair, there are things that happen throughout the season where you say, okay, maybe there is an opportunity for me to buy a better running back. Maybe a really high warp running back becomes available. Again, refer to the running back episode that I did on the very first show. Uh, talking a little bit about what that means or how you define that. But there are times where you do want to chase that. There are times where if that becomes available, it's okay to pay for it. But generally, given how much running backs cost, is it really pragmatic to say, I need another running back? Again, there are times. But I think when I look at my teams, I sit there and I say, I'm going into a season. I want to target a running back. Probably just one, but maybe you can say I want two. Guys that can give me a true positional advantage. One of these guys that can hit 20 plus PPR points per game. And you know who those guys are. You can list those guys on less than two hands. And you already know who they are. You know what they cost. You know what it takes to get them. You know what their archetype looks like. You know what their prototype looks like. Generally, though, those are the types of players where you go, I don't want to pay the market price. And so a lot of times we look at those names and we say, okay, how do I maybe fade and get the market price for one of those guys and try to find that production a little bit cheaper? It's why it's so hard to measure the price of a guy like Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley, because you know they're probably already to the point where they're close to the age cliff. They have the injury history. They already have the volatility where you say, man, it's really, really hard to justify paying the price that they go for. Austin Eckler's another even bigger example. You look at his touchdowns thus far the last couple of years, and you just say it's not sustainable. At the same time, you know, his warp production, and we'll do a future episode on warp and talking about that. Uh, Dynasty Barry, shout out to Dynasty Barry, has done a great job establishing some baselines for Destination Debbie uh, on warp. But you look at those players and you go, there's a reason why they're so expensive. And it's not because they are guys that are getting more touches than anybody. 
but they're players that are giving you a potential advantage that is really unmatched anywhere else. But the reality is, and if you think back to that episode again, the very first one, it almost goes line by line with this one, is that's few and far between. You're only getting that production extremely rare cases throughout a given fantasy season. There might be seasons where nobody hits it. This season, only Austin Eckler is hitting it. You have a couple other guys that are hitting like that top three level, that historically, like the 20 plus point per game mark, 20 to 22 points per game. We have a couple guys that are hitting that this year. But really, it's just Eckler that's hitting well above, that's hitting that true difference maker at the running back position. But we already know what those guys cost. There's a reason that they are so expensive. There's a reason that as long as they continue to produce in that range to where any given year they could have one of those seasons, they're always going to be more expensive. That's what people are trying to chase. Where you get yourself into trouble is when you go a tier below and you say, I'm chasing Joe Mixon. I'm chasing Dalvin Cook. I'm chasing that type. Because you're probably going to look at those players and say, man, they're expensive to get. But then you really look at their production and you say, okay, it's good. It's better than replacement value. At the same time, it's really not worth the premium that I have to pay for. And a lot of times it's because you've seen the peak for guys that's maybe a little bit higher than what they're capable of doing now, but their market price hasn't adjusted. But truthfully, their production is not as difference-making as you think. So you almost look at that range and you say, okay, I don't ever really want to roster more than one of those players. So in theory, you have one or two guys at the very top, and everybody wants to anchor their running back room with a guy like Barkley, with a guy like McCaffrey, with a guy like Eckler. Maybe if you want to count Derrick Henry in there, I know it's a little bit volatile in terms of his production week to week, but you can probably count those guys as the current players that are capable of that. Really, there's nobody else. And it's odd because those guys are all guys that are within you know, a couple years of each other, but none of them came into the league after 2019. You know, they're all on the older side. So it's interesting how those prices really stay inflated until they probably just burst, and then they're almost down to zero. But those are the guys that are the difference makers. After that, you then get into this next tier, the tier of very good, the tier of what I like to say, these are the ones I'm always willing to kind of bet against when their market price gets to an insane point. You get to these running backs that are in that second tier where they are, they're difference makers above replacement. Remember the replacement value was somewhere between 14 and 14.5 points per game. These guys are the ones hovering in the 16, 17 point per game range. They're nice to have, but when you really think about it, are they worth five times what the price of a guy that is a backup running back that can basically be close to one of those guys in a given week if they get the volume, but they're not reliable from week to week. That's where you start getting into the dead zone. You'll hear the dead zone talked about every year during draft season. Don't draft running backs in the dead zone. That's basically what they're talking about. Don't draft these running backs that are essentially inflated because of their projectability or their predictability in terms of their touches, but really not their ceiling. And I think we fall into this trap in Dynasty where we say, okay, let's say I've built my team around a guy like Saquon Barkley. That's my anchor. I know that I have a really good bet if I have him on my roster to potentially hit at least that top three number, if not that uber elite number. But then how do I roster construct after that? What do I want the rest of my running backs to look like? And what I see is a common mistake is somebody will say, okay, I'm trying to get within roster construction. I'm trying to carry every running back that's possible, but I'm starting Saquon Barkley and I'm weak at RB2. 
I'm weak at RB2. Should I go out and pay the market price to buy Joe Mixon? Should I go out and pay the market price to buy Alvin Kamara, to buy Aaron Jones, to buy James Conner, to buy Leonard Fournette? And I know these guys have differing ranges of dynasty value, but a lot of times those are the type of running backs that are available. And typically they're available for a premium because they still are a scarce asset. There are not many guys that are capable of putting up 16, 17, 18 points per game. But the bang for your buck just isn't there. So really what I like to do is maybe if I have multiples of these guys on a team, let's say I have a team with Barkley and then I have a second RB and it looks to be somebody in this range. This is where I'm always looking for those opportunities to maybe flip one of those for a threshold receiver, flip one of those for a threshold receiver plus. Like typically that is my accrue value range of running backs because I'm taking advantage of the fact that there's a lot of scarcity. And what I'm doing is I'm making up for the fact that maybe I'm trading away a guy like Dalvin Cook, but I'm getting back a good value, whether that's in the form of receivers, probably draft picks because I'm trying to upgrade somewhere else. Maybe I need a better quarterback or whatnot. But really what I'm doing is I'm leaning on my roster construction to help me out here. Obviously, one of the biggest bets you're making by having just Saquon Barkley as your anchor is he needs to stay healthy. That's a big bet. That's part of the slimming down the margins effect that I always talk about as well, is I'm going into the season with a roster construction that I believe in, but I'm not going to roster for insurance necessarily. I'm not going to try to roster a second elite running back unless it's just an obvious value because I hope my elite running back doesn't go down. If he does, then I have to reassess, and that's part of it. You have to be fluid throughout the year. You don't go into week one saying, I need my running back room to be perfect for every worst-case scenario. What you do do is you allow yourself enough roster spots to say, hey, I can deal with some emergencies. I have some cheap insurance on hand just in case something gets a little bit out of control. I can get by. That's why you roster construct this way. But you don't need to go into the season going, I need four stud running backs because two of them are going to get hurt. We know most likely that one or two of them is going to get hurt, but you don't need four going into the season. You also don't need multiple running backs that are in that second tier. We're talking about basically the dead zone tier. They're they're right around replacement value, a little bit better, but they're overvalued by the market because they maybe have a name or maybe they have some pedigree or maybe they have some past seasons of being better than this level, but they're not this level anymore. That's where you get into trouble. And I think that's where people start to realize, hey, I don't need many of these guys. One of the biggest things I talked about in that first running back episode, and literally, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it before you finish this show. One of the biggest impacts of that episode was talking about when you are not starting running backs that are in this elite tier, and you're starting these dead zone guys. The biggest downfall is you're probably leaving money on the table because you're not selling them for their market value. I keep throwing out the names, Aaron Jones, Dalvin Cook. You're not selling those guys for the value that they have, but you're also playing them every week. You're just flat out starting them every week. You're eating the fact that maybe they only average 15 or 16 points per game per season, but you're playing them every week. You are never gaining access to some of the lesser running backs that may have opportunity in the short term. They're not in your lineup. You're missing out on some of those early spike weeks. Think of earlier in the year, if you had Brees Hall. If you had Brees Hall and you didn't have any clear running backs that were better than Brees Hall, you would have started him through 
the usage where he was only splitting snaps with Michael Carter, where he was part-time. You would have actually had access to some of those running back points earlier than expected because he would have been in your lineup. You wouldn't have been sitting him in favor of David Montgomery or sitting him in favor of Joe Mixon because you would have just said, you know what, I got to start these guys. I feel like they have a safer floor. Floor is not more chasing. So that's where you get into this idea of the dead zone and why you never get access to some of these middle tier running backs, the players that are right below the dead zone. And they're probably below the dead zone for reasons of they're in a committee. They're in one of these 60-40 committees. Maybe they're not in a great offense. Maybe they don't catch a lot of passes, whatever it might be. But there are running backs that are the opposite. Think about a guy like Rashad White or Tony Pollard. Those guys probably weren't in your lineup during times where they had big games. And it's simply because you go, you know what, I can't project them to get enough touches. Even though their skill set might say, hey, you know, they can put up 18 points on 11 touches. But they weren't in my starting lineup because I was starting these other two or three dead zone running backs ahead of them. So I think that's the biggest key is to really try to avoid this second tier because a lot of times it doesn't match the impact that your team has or what they have on your team compared to what their market price is. So back to the basics, I want to have an anchor running back. I want to have an anchor running back that I think can hit me 20 plus points per game. Let's just start there. And the biggest thing is there's probably only four to eight guys capable of that in the NFL at one time. So get yourself one of those. Then you get into the next tier. This is the dead zone. Let's just call it RB9 through 20. RB9 through 25. That's kind of what I defined added in that first episode. All these running backs are typically overvalued from a cost standpoint. They cost more than what they're actually giving you. Meaning, you might think, oh yeah, they're in my starting lineup. They're actually helping me win a little bit. But they're also probably worth a lot on the open market. More to you in terms of what you could do with them. And you're buying a little bit of that equity back by roster constructing right. So what I like to do is maybe I carry one of these guys. Maybe. At the most, two. After that, I'm done. I'm out. I'm cashing out. And most of my rosters, it's probably one. So let's say I start with a guy like Barkley. Then maybe I carry an RB2. Maybe someone like Mixon, Dalvin Cook, Aaron Jones. But then I'm done. If I ever have guys that jump into this range... If I have Damian Pierce that hits on a team that already has two guys ahead of him, that's where I'm looking, okay, where in this second tier can I sell? Do I sell the veteran? Do I sell Damian Pierce? With the idea being that what I want to do is then focus the rest of my running backs. So I have my anchor. I maybe have my dead zone running back. The rest of my spots, I already said you're going to use about six spots or so on the bottom tier guys, right? These are the churn and burn, any guy that's on a depth chart, any guy that I pick in round three, round four, my rookie draft, all those guys are going to backfill those bottom of my roster spots. The rest of them, so I have two at the top, I have six at the bottom. The rest of them, I want to have five that are in like this intriguing upside committee range. And a lot of times these are the ones that you don't necessarily feel comfortable starting week to week, but you also look at them and you say, there's something about them. Maybe they're in a good offense. Maybe they're an elite pass catcher. Maybe they're super explosive. You know, think of somebody like Jeff Wilson or Raheem Mostert. They fit in this range right now to where you say, okay, these guys are probably not going to get more than 12 touches on a given week, 
but either one of them is capable of 20 points on their 12 touches because of the offense they play in, because of the way they play. They're both super explosive. They can both bust off big runs. You know, they can have a 40-yard touchdown out of nowhere. That's the type of player that fits in this range. And you're going to look at their projections and you're going to say, man, they're not going to get enough touches. Man, they're not going to get enough pass catching. But you look at them and you say, how do I get access to these in my lineup without actually having to say, okay, I need five injuries ahead of them to happen? How can I construct my team around it to go, man, Raheem Mostert's my RB3. There's going to be a lot of weeks where I'm just playing him. And I'm willing to live with the ups and downs. I'm willing to live with every week he scores 20, another week he scores 6. I'm willing to live with those peaks and valleys because of how my team is built around them. Then as the season goes on, those names can churn in and out. You can have guys that actually jump into the dead zone from below the dead zone. Maybe there's an injury ahead of them. A guy like Michael Carter would have not been in the dead zone to start the year. But now, he could be in the dead zone. Next half of the season, he could be in the dead zone. I know he hasn't performed awesome since Brees Hall went down, but conceivably, he could end up in the dead zone for a lot of weeks for the rest of the year. Then you have players that were in the dead zone, and they start losing work. They fall down, and you're going, okay, they're not even in the dead zone anymore. They're in this intriguing range, but at the same time, you know, they're really kind of risky to start from week to week. So there's constant defining of these running back types all throughout the season. Players move in, players move out. Some of them are based on volume. Some of them are based on injuries. Some of them are based on their efficiency of their offenses. But you're starting to see how this takes place. You have your anchor, who's the elite running back that could hit 20 points per game. This is ideal. This is like a utopian world of how I'd build my team. Then you have maybe one dead zone running back. And that's one of these guys where you go, okay, it's Leonard Fournette. It's James Conner. It's Joe Mixon. Like, I'm just going to anchor my second running back spot around that guy. At any point, though, if someone were to come to me and be like, wow, your dead zone running back has had four straight great games, I'm willing to give you a first and a second, i.e. someone like Josh Jacobs the first month of the season, right? That's the type of player where you go, okay, do I really want to bet that he's going to be this above replacement value running back, which really conflicts with what he's been his whole career, or am I going to take advantage of maybe trading him away at a point where I know he can sell for more than probably what the lineup equity he is to me, I can sell for more right now on the open market. Then you make that bet. So you constantly do that with your dead zone backs and you go, okay, if this guy can't get out of the dead zone or get above it, then he's probably worth selling. Then you have the guys that rise out from, you know, below the dead zone and they get into the dead zone. Same thing. Do you sell them? With the idea that these running backs are moving up and down tiers all throughout the year. Then you have injuries. Then you have players that come from nowhere, from waivers that in a given week, You could look at a running back like Deion Jackson the week that he did not have any Naheem Hines or Jonathan Taylor. Okay, he went from a guy that was barely on rosters to potentially a dead zone projection running back for that week. So you have those that pop up all the time. And I think that's where you get into the major strategy here is you keep sitting here saying, well, if I have Joe Mixon or if I have Leonard Fournette or James Conner, I want to trade those guys away. Here's the reason. Here's the reason, the biggest bang for your buck. I talked about micro economies. I talked about accessing this type of day trading running back environment in your given league. Here's how you do it. So one of the things that I've started to see is spot starts. Running backs that can be started simply for a week. Hey, this team is without two running backs. They have to start Deion Jackson this week. And you sit there and you go, okay, let's assess what Deion Jackson's profile looks like. Can he catch the ball? Is he big? Is he fast? Whatever it might be. 
But these opportunities come up constantly. Sometimes it's just one single spot start. Sometimes it's this guy's going to start for multiple weeks. Sometimes he starts for multiple weeks. Then he becomes a guy that gets right below the dead zone, but he could be playable for multiple games. But we've also seen it in our leagues where these guys are commonly put on the block for give me a third, give me a second, give me two thirds. And I think the key is if you're in a league where you identify that this is how it operates, that there are people constantly going, hey, Samaj AP Ryan's going to start next week. I'll sell him for any third. Deontay Foreman, man, he's probably going to start the rest of the season. I'll sell him for any second. Jamal Williams, clearly he is the goal line back and getting a lot of touches for Detroit. He's probably going to be that the rest of the year. I'll sell him for a second. Really what you want to do is you want to construct your team to a point where if you maybe traded away some of your dead zone running backs at a higher price than that, right? Or maybe you've lost your anchor running back and you can't get another one and you want to give yourself at least an ability to stay afloat. How do I do that? You know, what if I lost Austin Eckler for a couple weeks and he's out and I don't have my anchor anymore? How do I get by? Well, usually the way to get by isn't to say, hey, let me go trade my first to get Aaron Jones. It's probably better, let me go trade a couple seconds to get a guy right below that. Let me go trade a couple thirds to get Samaj P. Ryan. And just take my chances. Take my chances that, hey, Aaron Jones is averaging 16, 17 points per game. Samaj P. Ryan in a spot start could give me replacement value, 14 points per game. That's it. If your roster constructed the right way, that's not that big of a difference. If you look at warp, there's not a huge gap there. That's not going to make or break your matchup. Now, how do you get there? Part of this strategy, and this is where you can benefit by having a lot of late round picks, having a lot of players on your bench that you can flip for draft picks or assets where maybe you can trade a running back for, let's say you traded Aaron Jones for a 24 first and a filler running back. You've accomplished two things. You've stashed some extra value, but you've also stayed within roster construction. So that's one of the biggest tools is whenever you're trading a player away and you're getting a pick, get a filler running back thrown in. If you ever get to a point in the offseason where you go, hey, you know what? I have a couple extra draft picks. I now have a few extra threshold receivers. I talked about this on the wide receiver episode. What happens if you find a point where maybe you have enough threshold receivers, but you've also gotten access to Tyquan Thornton or Wandale Robinson or someone like that? And you go, wow, I can trade this guy for a second. I can trade this guy for a couple thirds. Terrace Marshall's had a couple big games. I can trade him for a couple thirds now. Like those small transactions where you bank those picks and it's especially viable in the offseason when nobody is scoring points, one of the best successes or one of the most successful strategies I've had over the last few years is be the guy in the offseason that's posting those auto accept trade blocks, especially if we're in a format like this that's 28-man rosters and I'm sitting here saying, okay, there's some players on the waiver wire that I still like. 28-man rosters, they're still intriguing players that I'd want to go pick up. Who on my roster can I liquidate? I use that word so much. It's probably one of my most commonly used words in Dynasty is liquidation. And this is the reason. This is the main reason. It's not only having the roster construction plan, but understand that when I liquidate at the right times during the year, I'm going to be the one that during the season, maybe I have an extra first, maybe I don't. But I definitely want to be the one that during the weeks... Weeks 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, right in the mix of when bye weeks are starting to hit, injuries are starting to happen. I want to be the one that I go to my team and I go, I have three seconds. I have four thirds. 
I might even have a couple forced to throw in trades. But the idea being, think about how much it's worth it to you. If you have the right roster construction to go buy some AJP Ryan next week for two-thirds. And if you can get that done, the only benefit AJP Ryan has to you is using him when he's going to get that quote-unquote like dead zone workload, right? You don't expect anything above the dead zone. You're trying to get dead zone points, replacement value points, and that's it. But you don't have access to that unless you're putting him in your lineup. If you're not roster constructed the right way, he's not going in your lineup. You're probably sitting there going like, well, I don't really need to put him in because I'm probably not starting him over David Montgomery and DeAndre Swift. And for the most part, you're probably not going to. But there's also going to be a team out there that's going, man, I'm desperate. I'm smashing everybody at wide receiver. I'm smashing everybody at tight end. I have two good quarterbacks, but man, I have no running backs. I would love to get my hands on this week's Samaj P. Ryan. But you have the team that can take advantage of it. That's what I talked about in that first running back episode, is giving yourself a shot to take advantage of as many of these quote-unquote random weeks as possible. Because a lot of these weeks aren't random. They're random from like an adjusted warp perspective because most of the time they're not in people's lineups. And I'm not saying you would have started Samaji Pirine this week when he had three touchdowns, and I'm recording this during the Sunday night football game, but I actually had two lineups that I started Samaji Pirine in this week, and they were in these circumstances. They were, I had some injuries, I had some bye weeks, but I also had a roster construction to take advantage of the fact where I didn't have any other options. You know, I didn't have a bunch of random running back twos and running back threes sitting around. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start the guy that I think might get seven or eight touches. Turns out you get lucky. He gets a couple touchdowns early. Then Mixon gets ruled out. He ends up getting more touches than that. But ultimately, I would have never had him in a lineup if I would have built my team differently. And guess what is winning for a couple teams that I have him in there? Quarterbacks and wide receivers. And I'm sitting there going like, it's just a bonus if I have P. Ryan in. But I constructed to a way where it was the roster construction that was winning it for me. It wasn't the specific players that I had on my team to start the season. It was just trusting the process that, you know what, there's going to be opportunities for me to have these guys and either put them in my lineup because I don't have anybody else or buy them cheaply because they become available. And I've put myself in a position where I'm able to throw around extra picks where I'm able to say, okay, I have four third-round picks. Let me go buy a spot start running back. And I think that's the biggest thing here. You need to be able to read your league and think about, does this type of opportunity come up? But I'm in a lot of leagues where people will go, wow, you know, I don't need to start Samaj P. Ryan next week because he's my fifth running back. Man, will anybody give me a third? Now I'm going to probably get greedy and I'm going to ask for two-thirds. But you know what? That's going to be a motivated seller. And you've now put yourself in a position to be a motivated buyer. So hopefully that helps. It's a lot of interesting theory behind this. And I think it's going to be fascinating to talk more about how this may change, especially because who did I talk about at the very top? Who did I talk about those warp difference makers at running back? Barkley, Eckler, McCaffrey, Derek Henry, these guys aren't going to last forever. And I think this is one of the biggest things that I've talked with Ray a lot. We've talked a lot in the Discord. We've talked a lot in the Dynasty and Chill Patreon chat. This next crop of running backs, will they hit this range? I mean, we've been robbed of a lot of guys that, even if they could have never hit this range, they might have been able to come close. 
we might have been robbed of a couple Jonathan Taylors with injuries to Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, Brees Hall, Javante Williams. Who knew what they might have become? Who knows if they might have become this next tier of difference-making running backs? We won't know that. But unless the landscape changes, where guys come from the younger tier and jump into this range, I think this strategy is going to become even more and more viable because there's going to be less running backs at the very top that are giving you the difference-making production. So here's what's going to happen. People are going to go, well, I have to put somebody at RB2, RB3, RB4, RB5. Look what we're doing right now with Travis Etienne and Kenneth Walker. They have to be RB2, RB3, RB4 by default, right? They're just there because who else do I put at RB1, RB2, RB3, RB4? But really, you look at their production, you go, it's nowhere close to peak running back production of what it looked like even five years ago, let alone 10 years ago. But they still hold that relative market value. And you go, man, if, if that's what people are now valuing at the top end, we know the impact of that is even less. So think about that. I mean, that's the biggest thing is, are we going to see a new crop? Maybe it's the 2023 class of running backs that jump into this range and provide this warp difference making production. But if we don't see that, we're going to have this period over the next year or two where some of the older guys start to decline a little bit. And we're going to probably overinflate running backs because somebody has to be in that range. And really, the way to play it is to probably fade those guys. Sure, you can act like Travis Etienne as your anchor running back on a team. It makes sense. But after that, you're almost going like, man, I almost want to just fade every running back that's in that range or below simply for what I talked about in tonight's episode, especially if you have an active market in your league where you can really buy running back starts week to week. Sometimes you have to overpay. Sometimes you have to pay a second for a guy like Jamal Williams, and you have no idea he's going to give you six or seven startable weeks. But it's worth it. It's worth it if you've constructed the right way where you say, you know what, I can splurge. You know, I have three seconds. I'm going to take a gamble and buy Deontay Foreman for the rest of the season. He may have games where he doesn't help me at all. He may have games where he blows up. That's kind of what he's been thus far. He's had a couple good games. He's had a couple bad games. But the idea being, you probably wouldn't have wanted to pay a second on the onset, and you've missed out on a couple of those games because maybe you didn't have the extra pick, but maybe you were just thinking, oh, I don't want to do it for just a guy that's starting one week. And that's the other lost art. And I'll talk about that more in the future. But one of the other things is sometimes buying the running back that you think is a spot starter because the market price says they're a second, that's fine. What if they're a spot starter for multiple years? What if a guy like Deontay Foreman ends up in a similar role next year where he gives you four or five opportunities to start him next year and then maybe a couple in the year after that? That second you paid in week nine of 2022 might turn into 15 spot starts over the next three years. And you don't think if you calculate the warp on that draft pick that that wasn't worth what you spent? So think about that. And again, if you didn't roster construct right, you're probably not going to keep that guy from year to year. You're probably not going to have those types on your roster or in your portfolio to begin with. So I know I was kind of all over the place. I didn't get to talk too much about some of the trade theory uh, that we get into, but really what it comes down to is if you're going to implement this strategy, you have to have the ability and the flexibility to find places where you can constantly be tiering off of players that you think are within the same production tiers for extra value. You know, can I trade a receiver for a receiver and pick up a second? Can I trade a running back for a third and also pick up another filler running back? Those types of deals are underrated. 
and they're underrated because not only did I get a pick for a player, but I also still maintained my roster construction. I didn't trade a running back away for a third and then go pick up a receiver. I maintained my roster construction. When you do that, you're always giving yourself the best odds to go against some of the teams that just hit on the right players because there's going to be a lot of variance and a lot of times throughout the year where if you're stuck without having any picks, then you're going to have to break your roster construction to find ways to plug holes. So think about that. Again, to repeat what I said from the very beginning, Roster constructing in a 12-team Superflex, start 10, 28-man rosters. We started with eight receivers as the baseline, three tight ends as the baseline, and tonight, 13 running backs. And in deeper leagues, you're starting to get into the point where you want to roster probably 50% of your roster spots as running backs. Once you're there, you're ready to go. Then you just kind of embrace the fact that some teams, if you have 10 teams that are built this way, some of them are going to hit all the right players. Some of them are going to hit none of the right players. But you have the best ability to maintain an advantage by having the right roster construction. So keep that in mind. Appreciate everybody. This concludes the running back episode. Uh, Again, go back to listen to the first two. This one will make a lot more sense when you do that. And then definitely listen to that running back episode uh, if you haven't already that I started off the series with way back in episode one of Destination Dynasty. As always, check out the newsletter. It's uh, allgas.beehive, B-E-E-H-I-I-V. Check that out. Enter your email to subscribe. You'll get great content every weekend, gambling, DFS, Dynasty, waiver wire, much, much more from everybody at the DD team. Uh, Final installment of this will be a quarterback episode next week. We'll talk about the quarterback landscape, uh, how to build a quarterback room, uh, how to manipulate the quarterback carousel going into the offseason. I think that's going to be something that is going to be fascinating to watch. And I don't think it's just going to be one more offseason. I think we're going to start seeing this type uh, of quarterback carousel happening every year to where you're starting to see the haves or the have-nots. And teams are starting to look at the quarterback position a little bit differently. So in Dynasty, we have to do the same. And then obviously the production at the position is also going to drive you know, where those cutoffs are in terms of how we want to roster construct. So the final episode will be quarterbacks. Maybe I'll do a fifth episode kind of tying everything together uh, and maybe looking at how you can kind of get back into construction as we get towards the offseason because there's definitely some strategy in you know, getting a team from oops, Uh, And I got a lot of messages this past week like, wow, this series has really started to help me look at my teams a little bit differently, but I have a lot of moves to make. How do I get there? So maybe we'll do a fifth episode uh, talking about that. Appreciate everybody. Appreciate everybody at the DD team. Thanks a lot to Ray for the opportunity once again. And with that, I will go ahead and sign off for this week. Be chill.